Welcome to the Theo Soul Podcast, where theology meets sociology, along with a little bit of soul. I'm your host, Chad Cooper. On today's episode, we're going to talk about Get Lit Fridays. Our Theo Soul Podcast book club invites you to get lit. But in order to get lit, you need some good read. Well, we're here to try to assist you in your literary adventure with some books that we recently read. And we're going to give a brief lit review. The books will cover fiction and nonfiction. Here at the Theo Soul, we're always looking for good book recommendations. Remember, reading is fundamental, leaders are readers, and it's good to be a well-read individual. On today's episode, we're going to give a summer reading book review. As the summer is winding down and the fall months are approaching, we're going to take some time to look back at what we've read during the summer months of June, July, and August. Here's an overview of my summer reading book list. Number one, The Water Dancer by Tahanisi Coates. Number two, The Nickel Boys by Colson Whitehead. Number three, I am number eight, overlooked and undervalued, but not forgotten by God, by John W. Gray the third. Number four, The Talented Ripkins, by Laddie Hubbard, that's capital L-A-D-E-E, capital H-U-B-B-A-R-D. Number five, Fearless Jones, by Walter Mosley. Number six, Fear Itself by Walter Mosley. Number seven, Fear the Dark by Walter Mosley. And finally, number eight, The Truth We Hold, an American Journey by Kamala Harris. Looking at the overview of the eight books we've listed, here's a few stats that I did as we look at a breakdown. Out of the eight books that I've read during the past summer, Two of them are nonfiction, six of them are fiction. All the authors are African American. Four are black men, two are black women. One of the fiction series include the Fearless Jones series, as well as two of the fiction novels may be considered historical fiction. With the nonfiction, two of those may be considered autobiographical or memoir in nature. So let's begin with The Water Dancer by Tahanisi Coates. Just to give a brief summary, um, to describe the book, we have the main character. His name is Hiram Walker. He was born into bondage. When his mother was sold away into slavery, Hiram was robbed of all memory of her. But this Hiram was gifted with some miraculous power. It took me a while to figure out what kind of power this was as I was reading the novel. Years later, when Hiram almost drowns in a river, that same power saves his life. This brush with death 
bursts in urgency in Hiram in a daring scheme. His plan is to escape the only home that he's known of. An enslaved person trying to escape. So begins this unexpected journey. It takes Hiram from the corrupt grandeur of this uh, plantation that's located in Virginia. And he goes through different guerrilla underground uh, cells in the wilderness. He traverses the deep south. And then he also goes through various parts of the north. Even as he's enlisted in this underground war against enslavers by the enslaved Hiram's resolve to rescue the family because he is trying to reconcile what he lost and also trying to preserve the family and loved ones that he's come across so whenever we look at this book this book it was honestly it was a slow read at first Tahanisi Coates is a great author and if you've never uh, never known who Tahanisi Coates is here's a brief uh, bio sketch of him Tahanisi Coates is the author of the number one New York Times bestseller Between the World and Me he was a finalist for the National Book Award. Tahanisi Coates also uh, won a MacArthur Genius Grant Fellow. Tahanisi Coates received the National Magazine Award, the Hillman Prize for Opinion and Analysis Journalism, and the George Polk Award for his Atlantic cover story, The Case for Reparations. He has written such books besides The World and Me, and the water dancer that we're covering today he also wrote we were eight years in power in american tragedy also uh he also was a writer for a brief moment of the black panther comic book also he wrote the beautiful struggle a father two sons and an unlikely road to manhood also, he wrote an issue of Captain America. So, Tahanisi Coates, one could say this the water dancer was his first foray into writing a fiction novel. I discovered Coates when I first read uh, Between the World and Me. And the beautiful struggle. Coates have written mostly nonfiction works. So when after reading this first work of fiction, one could easily see that this is his maiden voyage. And compared to a more seasoned fiction novel writer, a veteran, yes, Coates has work to do. However, don't we all? struggle whenever we first begin something new so don't take it too hard don't take uh take it out on them too hard as we said the main protagonist is Hiram Walker when I was reading as we said earlier Hiram Walker 
uh, this enslaved young man uh, born into slavery. We find out, uh, spoiler alert, his father was actually his enslaver. His mother uh, was an enslaved black woman. And his mother was violently and uh, tragically murdered. Uh, <clears throat> uh, his mother was sold away. Now, of course, Hiram was, uh, was violently and uh, tragically, uh, he almost drowned in the river. And of course, his superpower wasn't as evident at first, if you read the novel. I know I struggled to pick up on it exactly what kind of superpower that Hiram Walker had. But apparently it's uh, something to do with memory. Because he can recall certain things whenever he uh, is thinking about his mother. So I, I gave it a thumbs up. I gave it two thumbs up overall. So... The next book that I've read was The Nickel Boys by Colson Whitehead. This book by Colson Whitehead is based on a true story. The Nickel Boys, it deals with <clears throat> uh, a boy's home. Uh, located in segregated Tallahassee. As the civil rights movement began to reach the black enclave of Frenchtown uh, in segregated Tallahassee, the protagonist, Elwood Curtis, he takes the words of Dr. L Martin Luther King Jr. to heart. He is as good as anyone. Elwood Curtis was abandoned by his parents, as you will find out once you read the novel. But he was kept on the straight and narrow by his grandmother. Thank God for good grandparents. Elwood, he is a high school senior. He's making good grades. He's about to start classes at a local college, you know, while he's in high school. But for a black boy in the Jim Crow South, Remember, this is segregated Tallahassee, Florida. Even though Florida is known for its wonderful beaches, it's still in the Jim Crow South. So, for a black boy in the Jim Crow South of the early 1960s, one innocent mistake is enough to destroy uh, Elwood Curtis's future. Mistaken identity, false arrest, you know what happens later. Elwood is sentenced to a juvenile reformatory called the Nickel Academy, whose mission statement says it provides physical, intellectual, and moral training, in quotes, so delinquent boys in their charge can become honorable and honest men, another quote. But in reality, it's far from it. In reality, the Nickel Academy is a grotesque chamber of horrors. Elwood Curtis is stunned to find himself in such a vicious environment. 
man, it was. Edward Curtis, he, he still tries to hold on to the words of Dr. King. As we said, he loved to listen to records of King's speeches. And he took them to heart. And he tried to hold on to those magnificent words while being inside of the Nickel Academy. Especially when King quoted, uh, was said, throw us into jail and we still, we will still love you. Now, Elwood Curtis, he meets a friend inside of the Nickel Academy. His name is Turner. Now, Turner is the opposite of Elwood. Elwood thinks, uh, Turner thinks that Elwood is naive. Why would you believe in uh, Dr. King uh, quote? To Turner, he thinks Elwood is worse than naive. He thinks the world is crooked and that the only way to survive is to scheme and avoid trouble. There's some tension between Elwood's ideals and Turner's skepticism. So throughout the book and then it will lead to a discussion to a decision with repercussions that will echo down through the years as you just please read the book there is a great plot twist at the end formed in the crucible of the evils Jim Crow wrought the boys fate will be determined by what they endured at the Nickel Academy as we said before, the book is based on the real story of a reform school in Florida that operated for 111 years and warped the lives of thousands of children. In case you've never heard of the author, Colson Whitehead, here's a little bio sketch of him. Colson Whitehead is the author of such novels as Zone One, Sag Harbor, The Intu uh, Intuitionist. Uh, he has won many awards and the finalists of many awards, uh, such as the Penn Hemingway Award. Uh, he was a finalist for a Pulitzer Prize. Uh, he's won uh, many novels. He's also uh, written many essays about his hometown. So, his previous selection, The Underground Railroad, was how I first came to know who Colson Whitehead was or is. And it was such a popular book that Oprah Winfrey, she picked it as her Oprah book club. And we all know you get that Oprah bump in sales and those book sales translates into money. So he's doing really good. Colson Whitehead, uh, he resides in New York City. Yeah, Colson Whitehead won uh, the Pulitzer Prize for fiction for both the Underground Railroad and the Nickel Boys. It's a very great feat for an African-American male uh, novel writer, fiction novel writer, to win a high award such as that uh, for two novels. Our next book that we read, I Am Number Eight. So we delve off the path of fiction as this was the first 
of two nonfiction books that I read over the summer. I am number eight. Then the subtitle is Overlooked and Undervalued but Not Forgotten by God. The author is John W. Gray III. If you never heard of John W. Gray, uh, he is the he was the pastor, associate pastor, associate minister of America's uh, one of America's largest churches, Lakewood Church, located in Houston, Texas, uh, where people know him, where he preaches at the Lakewood midweek service. Now, he also currently is the pastor of a church called Relentless Church in Greenwood, South Carolina. Um. He has been a noted keynote speaker at different places, MC, uh, and as well as uh, he dabbles in comedy. Of course, he used to live in Houston, Texas with his wife and children, but now they live in Greenwood, South Carolina. Now, when we look at I Am Number 8, one could say it was a non-fiction book but when reading it it had the sense that he sprinkled in a little bit of his own biographical sketch um, if you read it you kind of see why so just a brief description if God can take David as that's the reason why that's uh, the eighth son of Jesse uh, in the Bible uh, the book of First Samuel. If God can take David, who was the invisible ape son of a forgotten family, and turn him into a king, just imagine what magnificent plans he could have for redeeming your life. Uh, <clears throat> Pastor John Gray, he talks about David being born a number eight. He says that he was a hidden gem, often overlooked and undervalued by everyone except for God. For David, being a number eight, it seemed like he was cursed uh, until the day God transformed him from the unknown eighth son of Jesse into the much honored king of Israel. When God sends out an invitation to greatness, his directions don't always make sense to you and me. You may feel like the most invisible, broken number eight out there. But God sees the hidden value and is growing you and me for better things. David didn't know it, but his time as a simple shepherd with a dull future did not go unnoticed by God. In David's darkest moments, he was cultivating the kind of gifts, wisdom, and leadership he would need to become a king. Even when you may be an underdog in the eyes of the world, God is working behind the scenes to develop you into a king or queen. And of course, throughout this, uh, this work, I am number eight. He, John Gray, focused in on David's life uh, beginning, as we said, when you look at scripture, first Samuel when we first encounter uh, David and who his father was, Jesse. And of course, um, Saul, who was king of Israel, 
he had been rejected by God due to disobedience. And so the prophet and judge Samuel, he went to go anoint for a new king. So David is number eight. So usually you don't see David associated as a number eight. Um, however, just do simple math. And once you read the text in First Samuel, um, Eliab and then the other six were summoned by Jesse to stand before uh, Samuel. Samuel held the ram's horn that was filled with oil. And so from Eliab and then son number two, three, four, five, and six, the oil did not pour out. Samuel and Jesse thought, surely these men, they look the part of the king. You know, they might have been tall, dark, and handsome. Might have had certain traits. However, Samuel asked Jesse, do you have any more sons? And so Jesse said, oh, yeah, yeah, we have one. Yeah, he's uh, out in the shepherd. You know, he's a ruddy boy. And so John Gray, he also weaves. He applies what he writes about, different characteristics and traits of a number eight. As he talks about his own life, as you, you get a glimpse into who John Gray is, uh, where he grew, where he was born, where he grew up at, his early family life. Uh, he talks about, uh, you know, such topics as being bullied, uh, his father, <clears throat> his mother, uh, about just uh, dating in terms of ministry, in terms of getting a job, marriage. Uh, he basically jumps back and forth uh, between characteristics of a number eight someone who's overlooked and undervalued but not forgotten by God with David and to his life and he has some nice discussion questions um, just for some food for thought to ponder after each chapter so that was book number three number four as we look at my list the talented Ripkins as we jump back on the fiction road, the Talented Ripkins by Laddie or Ladie, uh, Miss Hubbard, uh, please forgive me if I mispronounce your name, but it's capital L-A-D-E-E, -E. Uh, Hubbard, capital H-U-B-B-A-R-D. I was drawn to this book because uh, Laddie Hubbard, her book, The Talented Ripkins, won the Ernest J. Gaines uh, Book Award for Excellence. And of course, Ernest Gaines is a uh, rest in peace. Uh, he is a Louisiana native. And of course, this book award is given annually to authors, African-American authors who are new in the world of fiction and who has great works. So, one of my goals, if uh, we haven't talked about it on the Theoso podcast. My goal is to read every single book that has won the Ernest J. Gaines uh, Book Award for Excellence. So I was jumping around. I've read other works such as Crystal Wilkerson's The Bird of Opulence, Atticalock, The Cutting Season, uh, 
read many works, and so I read The Talented Ripkins. The Talented Ripkins is a great novel. The title, The Talented Ripkins, is borrowed from an essay written by W.E.B. Du Bois called The Talented Tenth. So, uh, if you ever read, if you've never read The Talented Tenth, I highly recommend that you read it uh, and then read Talented Ripkins. And maybe you can do a compare and contrast. So, with the Talented Ripkins. Here's a little uh, overall brief overview. Um, The protagonist, the main character, his name is Johnny Ripkins. This is a 72-year-old man uh, who usually, if you're an elder, uh, 72, usually you don't have as much problems as Johnny Ripkins does in this book. Uh, in this novel, uh, <laughs> basically Johnny Ripkins, he has one week to come up with money. He has to pay back money to a mobster boss that he stole from, or this mob boss is gonna call in a bunch of goons. Which we find out if you read the novel that these goons are on his trail. Uh, and a, basically, hey, pay me my money back, or you're gonna die. So. What may or may not be useful to Johnny as he flees is that he comes from an African-American family that has been gifted or they're talented with superpowers that are a bit well odd. Uh, For example, Johnny's father could see colors no one else could see. Johnny Ripken's brother could scale perfectly flat walls. Hmm, Take that, uh, Spider-Man. His cousin belches out fire. And Johnny Ripkins himself can make precise maps of any space you can name, whether he's been there or not. It's a great skill. So, uh, in the old days, the Ripkins family, they tried to apply their gifts to the civil rights effort. Uh, They had a group, they called themselves the Justice Committee. Um, the book talks about it uh, later on just how the Justice Committee was formed but when their superpowers proved insufficient the group the Justice Committee fell apart so Johnny's frustrated uh, Johnny and his brother so they start using their talents in order to start burglarizing in places uh, you know you got somebody who can make maps and you got somebody who can climb and scale walls. So they went and they started breaking into different buildings. So, uh, and of course, each burglary uh, is, is more daring than the last one as they, they keep uh, escalating things. So fast forward a couple decades later, Johnny's on a race against the clock. As we said, he stole some money from a mob boss and his mobster saying, look, Pay me my money back, or it's curtains for you. Now, he's trying to dig up a bunch of loot that he stashed all over Florida. Johnny Ripkins is basically retracing his steps as he's driving all across this state, digging up things, um, different treasure 
that he stashed. But of course, Johnny is not alone. Johnny has a sidekick. His brother, daughter, Eloise. He didn't know his brother had a daughter. And of course, on this trip, uh, Eloise, we find out, has a superpower. So, she's dealing with the superpower as well as she gets to know who Johnny Ripkins is. And by knowing who Johnny Ripkins is, she gets to find out more about herself as she's connected to this family uh, of individuals, this black family that's been gifted with superpowers, talented. So, uh, as we said before, this book was inspired by W.B. Du Bois' essay, The Talented Tiff. Uh, The Talented Ripkins was the debut novel for Laddie um, Hubbard. This novel talks about race, class, politics, and of course the unique gifts and talents that this family have. And of course the family is all about succeeding in life. So the talented Ripkins uh, may bring to mind Toni Morrison's novel Sula. Or it may bring to mind Colson Whitehead's novel, The Intuitionist. Uh, because those other novels also weave together themes of race, class, and politics. So, I enjoyed reading that book. I highly recommend you read that. Uh, great novel. So, we've gone over The Water Dancer by Todd Nixie Coates. The Nickel Boy by Colson Whitehead. I'm number eight by John W. Grader Third and the Talented Ripkins by Lady Hubbard. So books number five, six, and seven are a series. It's the Fearless Jones series. If you know anything about me, I am a Walter Mosley fan. I have thoroughly enjoyed the Easy Rollins books and I thoroughly enjoyed the Fearless Jones novel. I am a Walter Mosley fan. Uh, I'm going to leave it at that. <laughs> I don't want to get too uh, far off sidetrack. So, uh, Walter Mosley Fearless Jones series. There's three books in the series and I read all three during the summer. Uh, number one is Fearless Jones. Number two, Fear Itself. Number three, Fear the Dark. Now, uh, for those of you who may have read Easy, uh, the Easy Rollins series, uh, it takes place in post-World uh, War II Los Angeles. This novel, this series, Fearless Jones, it also takes place in the 1950s Los Angeles. And there are crossover some certain characters from the Easy Rollins uh, book series show up in the Fearless Jones series, as well as certain characters in the Fearless Jones series showed up in the Easy Rollins series. When I was when I was reading uh, Easy Rollins, there were some characters that I didn't know of, but I remembered their names once I was reading Fearless Jones. So, just a brief uh, book description. 
Walter Mosley's Fearless Jones inaugurates a new crime series set in 1950s Los Angeles. So, but can Jones match uh, Walter Mosley's uh, long-term hero, Easy Rollins? I say yes. Uh, and of course, when you read the first book, Fearless Jones, you will say yes too. Uh, now, of course, when you read this book, uh, Fearless Jones, you're trying to figure out who is the protagonist. Is the protagonist Fearless Jones? Well, not exactly. The protagonist uh, is actually told through the point of view of another character, Paris Minton. Uh, so, unlike the Easy Rollins stories, which is actually told by Ezekiel Easy Rollins, uh, Fearless Jones uh, is not the central character. Uh, it's actually Paris Minton. So, Paris Minton, he's the owner of a small secondhand bookstore. Yes, I love that I, I, that character, a guy who owns a bookstore, a well-read brother. Uh, so, as we talk about Fearless Jones, uh, book one. So, in this book, Paris Minton, we introduced to him, he owns a small secondhand bookstore. Paris Minton, he's savagely beaten up, and the store was burned down to the ground for mysterious reasons. We're wondering, and you, you'll find out later towards the end of the book. So, a beautiful woman is involved. And the beleaguered Minton acts for the aid of his friend, the resourceful Fearless Jones. So, as Jones painstakingly investigates this woman's past, a very dark mystery begins to unravel. The crime aspects here are delivered with total panache, but Walter Mosley always adds uh, some social political commentary uh, in his books. And of course, he talks about black men in the 1950s, uh, where you hardly have any rights, you hardly have any money, you're poor, uh, you're victims of crime, um, so, uh, basically, Fearless Jones is a good series. So, book number two is Fear Itself. With this novel, is also the main character, Paris Minton. He is a scared individual. As we said before, he owns a secondhand bookstore. Uh, all he wants to do is just mind his own business. He's very scared. He's scared of the dark. Uh, but 1950s Los Angeles. Sometimes trouble finds him. He doesn't go out looking for trouble, but trouble finds him. So, as we see with the the novel Fear Itself, book two in the Fearless Jones series, um, the nephew of the wealthiest woman in Los Angeles is missing and wanted for murder. She has to get involved. No matter if she uh, can't stand him. So we got this rich black woman. Her nephew's uh, missing. So she said, hey, uh, you know, I need, I need some help. And so 
this woman enlist the help of Paris Minton and uh, Fearless Jones. And so in trying to find this nephew, they go all in all sorts of, of ways. And so uh, it's, it's a great book. It's a very good book. Very good book. Uh, they, they go into so much uh, crazy trouble. Uh, Paris and Fearless. Uh, they get caught up in all sorts of stuff. Now, with Fear Itself, I listened to the audiobook as well as I read the novel, the print copy. Guess who reads the audiobook? Actor Don Cheadle. Don Cheadle. He was perfect. I thoroughly enjoyed listening to this book. Don Cheadle, you are great. Another person, another actor that I loved who uh, reads novels. I loved reading Raph Ellison's uh, novel, The Invisible Man. When read by Papa Pope, if you know, for those of you who watch Scandal, Papa Pope, or Eli, Rowan, uh, Joe Morton, <laughs> another good, uh, good audio uh, book narrator. So, as we said, uh, e, uh, Fearless <laughs> and, and, and Paris, they find themselves in a whole nother scheme trying to rescue this rich black woman's nephew. Uh, and in this story... Yeah, they will basically talk about uh, race again, crime, the sociopolitical commentary of the time. Uh, as we also talk about family secrets, uh, dealing with this, uh, with this, uh, this son, uh, how it's going missing. So, the last book, book three of the Fearless Jones series is called Fear the Dark. Fear the Dark. I read and I listened to it. Uh, so briefly, Paris Minton, the protagonist, as we said, um, he's a secondhand uh, bookseller. He is involved in another mystery. This time it hits close to home. It's his own family. Uh, his lowlife cousin, Ulysses as Grant the fourth, uh, but everybody calls him useless. Useless basically knocks on his door and then he, he basically says, Oh man, I can't get involved with him. Useless is, is trash. Uh, but Useless goes missing. And guess who else shows up into his life? Useless's mother, Three Hearts. So, Auntie, who she travels all the way from Louisiana. And just as uh, Easy Rollins uh, from the Easy Rollins series, Paris Minton, as well as other blacks around Los Angeles, have roots from the Deep South. Uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, that is a theme of African-American life in the United States, the Great Migration, where a lot of men and women 
uh, moved west as well as moved to the north to the north in search of a better life. However, they still had to endure racial discrimination. So, um, Three Hearts. She comes all the way from Louisiana. She basically looking for a son, Ulysses as Grant the Fourth, but everybody called him useless. And so Paris, he has no other choice but to track down his wayward cousin. And so uh, useless is a con artist. We find out uh, this man is shady. He deals with shady individuals, and he's dealing with a lot of people who want him dead. So. Who comes to the aid of Paris Minton? None other than Phyllis Jones. He always has his ear to the ground. Uh, Paris gets a hint that Useless may have expanded his range of enterprise to include blackmail. Uh, You'll definitely find out. Uh, Things are not as though as they seem. So, of course, Useless, or Ulysses as Grant IV, has disappeared. And so Paris is trying to track down where he's hiding from, trying to find out uh, who's involved and wanting to kill him. As we said, 1950s Los Angeles, where uh, if a black man does something uh, bad, just looking at somebody, uh, you can get killed. So there's a lot of secret lives involved. Women are involved. Desperate women are involved. And of course, there's a lot of dead bodies in this novel uh fear dark it has a lot of nerve you know just uh plotting just nerve ending crazy brilliant characterizations uh so walter mosley has written another beautiful crime novel uh just great i highly recommend it finally book number eight uh the Truths We Hold, an American story by Kamala Harris. In case you didn't know, Kamala Harris is the only, currently, she's the only black female, also uh, black and South Asian, United States Senator. Kamala Harris also, uh, at the time of this recording, she made history. She wasn't the first black woman to be nominated to a presidential ticket uh, as vice president of a political party, uh, but she was the first black woman of a major party ticket, the Democratic Party. So Kamala Harris, she wrote this book last year, 2019. Um, so Senator Harris, she was born in Oakland, California. As we said, her dad's from Jamaica. Her mom uh, is from India. And so, this book, uh, she basically writes in these 10 chapters, she writes about the core truth that unites us and the long struggle to discern what those truths are and how to best to act upon them in her own life and across the life of, our, of the country, the United States of America. Uh, Senator Kamala Harris's commitment to speaking truth is informed by her upbringing. And as we said before, she's the daughter of immigrants. She was born and raised in Oakland, California, uh, a community that still to this day deeply cares about social justice, 
Oakland, home of um, people, you know, talk about the Oakland Warriors, uh, Oakland A's, the Golden State Warriors, uh, but it's also home of the Black Panthers. Uh, yes, shout out Huey Newton, uh, Bobby Seale, Angela Davis, all those those folks. So, uh, her parents are dead from Jamaica, an esteemed economist. And, of course, her mother is an admired cancer researcher from India. So they met as activists in the civil rights movement when they were uh, graduate students at Berkeley, uh, University of California at Berkeley. Uh, go Bears. <laughs> Cal Bears. Um, so, growing up, U.S. Senator Harris herself, she never hid her passion for justice. And when she became a prosecutor at a law school, uh, a deputy district attorney, she quickly established herself as one of the most innovative change agents in America, uh, American law enforcement. Uh, She progressed rapidly to become the elected district attorney from San Francisco. And in her book, uh, she talks about that uh, election and what it went uh, behind the scenes. Uh, after being elected district attorney for San Francisco and then uh, being the chief law enforcement of the state of California as a whole. Uh, She was elected as the attorney general for that state. She's known for bringing a voice to the voiceless. Uh, She took on the big banks during the foreclosure crisis. She she talks about that in a book. Uh, She won a historic settlement for California working families. Uh, To Kamala Harris, uh, Senator, from California her hallmarks uh, she likes applying a holistic data-driven approach to many of California issues Um, and of course uh, she doesn't like the term tough on crime uh, but she likes to be smart on crime Uh, she she says being smart meaning learning the truth that can make us better as a community uh, and supporting all those truths with her might so uh, she deals with many issues, uh, of course, as a United States senator, uh, talking about, you know, the health care, the economy, immigration, national security, the opioid crisis, accelerating economy, uh, inequality. Uh, she, and she basically kind of talks about them in each chapter, um, weaving in her own personal story of what happens in, to her family and how that affects public policy so in this book uh, the truths we hold some say it's a master class in problem solving crisis management leadership in challenging times and of course uh, this is some would say it was memoir-ish or uh, or autobiographical-ish uh, of course uh, it's, it also deals with Uh, you know different um, social and political science topics so I uh, great greatly love this book Um, I have to mention Kamala Harris um, she talks about why she went to an HBCU Uh, many of her many y'all know she is an HBCU Graduate. She graduated from Howard University. H U, you know. Uh, 
And of course, she also belongs to uh, Alpha Kappa, Alpha Kappa, Alpha Sorority Incorporated, aka. Uh, so, as we're coming up to an hour, I don't want to be long this interview, <clears throat> this episode. So, that was my summer reading book review list. Just to recap, it was eight books. Six of them were fiction, two of them were non-fiction. All of them were African-American or black authors. Four of them were black men, two of them were black women. Uh, there was a fiction series involved, three books, the Fearless Jones series. Um, a couple of them were historical fiction. So that is another episode of the Theo Soul book, uh, Theo Soul podcast where theology meets sociology along with a little bit of soul and that is another episode of get lit fridays so that's the theo soul podcast book club we always invite you to get lit but in order to get lit you need some good read so we're always looking for good book recommendations and remember reading is fundamental leaders are readers and it's nothing wrong to be a well-read individual. The DLSO Book Club, uh, we're always looking for members. So please hit us up. We can be found on uh, social media platforms, uh, Twitter and Instagram. You can hit me up at CJCooper929. Uh, use the book club hashtag, uh, hashtag. The Old Soul Podcast or uh, The Old Soul Book Club. Hashtag Get Lit Fridays. Uh, we are also, you can hit me up on Facebook, uh, Chad Cooper. If you would like to donate to the The Old Soul Podcast, you can do so via Cash App. Dollar sign CJ Cooper 22. So, and you can find the The Old Soul Podcast on many platforms such as Anchor, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Radio Public. So, that has been another episode. We hope you enjoyed. God bless, and see you next time.